listeners, welcome to the St. Andrew's CMR podcast. This podcast is in collaboration with students and staff at the University of St. Andrews. At the Center for Minorities Research, we explore the complexities, challenges, and opportunities, continuities and discontinuities, unity and rupture of the everyday lives of minorities in Scotland and beyond. Hello and welcome to this podcast episode, Growing Flowers in the Desert. I'm Rachel Jeffries, an undergraduate student in French and German, and today I'm delighted to welcome Jenny Spears from the Lemon Tree Trust, where we will explore how the charity works alongside displaced people and uses gardening to build community. Hello, Jenny, and thank you so much for joining me today to talk about the powerful role of gardening and how your work has impacted the lives of displaced people. Perhaps we can kick things off with how it all started. What was the founder's inspiration to create the Lemon Tree Trust? Hi, Rachel. And um, first of all, thank you so much for having having me on your podcast and for talking to us um, Uh, about Lemon Tree Trust today. It's just really lovely to have the opportunity to tell you a little bit about our work. Um, So yeah, where it all started. So uh, Stephanie Hunt is the founder and CEO of Lemon Tree Trust. Um, She was working uh, in a voluntary capacity for UNHCR a number of years ago, visiting um, refugee and displaced people communities in Jordan and across the Middle East. And it was there in a camp in Jordan that she um, stumbled across some people gardening, you know, on one of the the trips there and asked them, you know, as a keen gardener herself, she sort of found, felt that immediate connection and just asked them what they needed um, to sort of, you know, continue their gardening. And the answer was very simple. Um, They just said, we need seeds. And as a as a person who had been looking for a, for a way to personally help um, the situation that was unfolding in the Middle East at the time, um, Stephanie felt that that was something that was 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 definitely possible. Um, so it was that was the sort of if you if you excuse the pun that the seed of the idea, um, and and Lemon Tree Trust has grown from there. Really, we sort of take that simple premise that. All it takes is a packet of seeds um, to enable somebody who has been displaced and finds themselves completely uprooted, completely um, sort of at sea, if you like, in a different place uh, with a different set of people, perhaps away from their um, family, friends and the connections that they had back at home. And that packet of seeds is actually a really, really powerful um, statement of intent. Um, And by planting those seeds by looking after that plant by nurturing them as they go forward that's not just about you know growing something that reminds you of home perhaps um, a packet of seeds of marigolds or you know antirrhinum or something that reminds you of home but but also it's about um believing in the future it's about that statement of hope and and it's giving you um you know the opportunity to grow beauty or the opportunity to grow food and people do certainly do both but it is that that real connection with home, and it's a it, it's a way of saying I'm here now, and I'm 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 growing something. I'm 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 believing in that future, and I'm prepared to um, to look after this thing, whatever it happens to be, um, and, until it comes to fruition. Yes, I think it's really beautiful how 
two people or two groups of people can join together through the act of gardening or through this shared interest, even though we have such different backgrounds, potentially how we can share something so simple like a seed and that that can bring so much more than, you know, just the plant itself. But perhaps you could tell me a little bit about the plants that um, people like to grow. Like, I remember you said uh, that it was a mix of flowers and vegetables, so beauty and useful things too. Definitely. And um, I mean, you'd think in a situation like a refugee or a, a displaced person um, sort of community that food would be sort of near top of the list and of course people are growing food if they have the space and and food tends to require a little more space as you know than than flowers but people certainly are growing food and and lots of people want to grow herbs for example and salad crops you know quick growing salad crops that are used daily in recipes and and you know salad is something that that gets put on the table every day but I guess we were probably not surprised is the wrong word because I think um, we all have that um, need to grow beauty. But um, I think whenever we've done a sort of, you know, seed distribution in any of the camps that we work in, um, the packets of flower seeds are, are almost always the first things to go. Um, when people see the opportunity to grow, I mean, marigolds are really popular, sunflowers, um, antirrhinum, so what we know as snapdragons, and in Syria they call fish lips. Um, these kind of things, and, and I mean, we don't distribute seeds of roses, but roses are one of those plants that are absolutely iconic in gardens across Syria. Um, and it's the rose that that people share cuttings of. They they absolutely love growing roses, and and roses grow really really well in in almost all of the camps that we work in. Um, so it is that real mixture of food and and flowers. Um, and I think that's where the Lemon Tree Trust sweet spot really is. That although the, the idea started as a way to help people's food security, and certainly, you know, in the beginning, that was much more um, important, if you like. Um, but I think it's morphed into more of a a way to improve people's mental health. And I think it's through the mix of growing food and flowers um, and the and the acknowledgement that people want to, both in their home gardens and in the community garden spaces that tend to sort of spring up once home gardens have been established, people really do want to grow a mixture of both. Um, and trees as well, of course. I mean, shade shade is a real issue, um, or lack of shade rather is a real issue. So I think, you know, trees or or plants, you know, that grow into sort of higher shrubs or, or climbing plants that can provide sort of shade up barriers, um, sort of fence link fences and things. Um, again, th these are the sorts of plants that transform. I mean, and that is it's a strong word, but it's it's really true. They transform a, a, an environment. And um, it's so evident when you visit camps that have been longer established, you know, and, and it just it is just a matter of time. It's not even a matter of kind of um, access to seeds or, or, or material sometimes. It's just that, you know, once a camp has been established for a while, naturally, um, you know, plants tend to spring up and start to take over. And I remember visiting one camp 
on our last trip to, to Kurdistan, um, which was back in 2019, we visited a camp that we don't have a garden. We don't run a competition there and Lemon Tree Trust doesn't have any um, sort of formal, you know, uh, projects there at the moment. It's called Kaogoshk. And but it's so evident. It's one of the older camps in the region. And it's so evident that people garden there. Um, there are almost every shelter we pass had a garden of some description. And there were community garden spaces that had been eked out of little plots of land between shelters. And it was so lovely to kind of visit a camp where Lemon Tree Trust hadn't had any input into and just see that it's what people do anyway, you know, all, you know, almost without any assistance. Um, you know, people who've been displaced from Syria have a long history and, and of gardening, you know, of ornamental gardening. Um, and people from other parts of Iraq who've been displaced and are living now in camps in the north um, have a have a, a real long history of of agriculture. So there's that mix of 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 agriculture and horticulture, um, but essentially, you know, people know how to work the land and they have a desire to do that. Um, so what Lemon Tree Trust is doing through garden competitions, through um, you know, recognizing people's home gardens with our monthly awards, through seed distributions, plant distributions, and 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 supporting the the, the establishment of community gardens, it really is just giving people a helping hand to do something that they're doing anyway, um, and and that's what's so joyful about it. That's what's so kind of unobtrusive about it, if you like. That it's it, we do have this shared love of of nature we do have this shared language of flowers and and plants and i think um by offering people just a little bit of help um and support um that can go a really long way um and has been an incredible way for people to make friends to come together as communities and to start to share their stories and experiences and i think it's that um as you say, that act of gardening. So it's not only the the sort of result of your gardening, if you like, but it's the physical act of gardening, of putting your hands in the soil, of getting involved, that enables people to talk side by side, to share those stories that perhaps they haven't felt able to share. But you're doing it in a, not in a formal setting. You're not you, you, know, you know it's not formal therapy if you like and, and of course there are there's a definite need for that there's there's an absolute need for people to have to find safe spaces and and to find supportive people to talk to about some of the trauma that they've experienced but we find that our informal environments um, for sharing stories and experiences are so important and so useful um that that we just you know that we're always you know wanting to do more that we're that it's it's a it's when we hear people's experiences and, and you know when we hear from them about how they feel about the garden spaces um it's always spurring us on to to want to do more thank you so much for that jenny and i just want to pick up on the idea of the space that gardens provide and also how people have the opportunity to create their own space and I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about how people that have been displaced can use this space to move on from their previous lives, but also to, to bridge the link between their previous lives and 
their current situation and how this space is a safe one, which, as you touched upon, uh, people could share stories and perhaps you have some stories you'd like to share. Yeah, of course. Um, so I guess the garden spaces that we are um, involved with, and, and and I must say that this is particular to this um, part of Iraq. So we, we predominantly work in the Kurdistan region of Iraq, which is the sort of very northern part of Iraq. Um, and the situation there for people who have been displaced um, to that region um, is is you know, is quite particular in that the regional government there has been incredibly supportive of, of people who've been displaced there um, and has been very quick to work with emergency responders such as UNHCR, Red Cross, um, to create um, camps or, if you like, you know, new communities where people can, can settle themselves. Um, so our work, you know, kind of comes secondary to that sort of emergency response. But in in the camps that we um, work, and, and those are, are again split up into two different parts. So there are what are known as refugee camps, and those are predominantly for people who've been displaced from Syria in this particular region. Um, and then there are IDP camps. So IDP stands for internally displaced people, and those are predominantly people from other parts of Iraq who have been displaced. Um, for one reason or another, but most recently through um, terrorism acts from ISIS. Um, and those camps are are funded slightly differently. So you tend to find that in refugee camps, um, there are better facilities than IDP camps. And that's generally because the funding comes from a different, um, comes from an international pot rather than a, um, a domestic pot. Um, but in both of those types of camp, um, people are given autonomy over the way in which their shelter kind of emerges, really. And um, they're given a plot. Um, that plot is often shared amongst, you know, not just immediate family members, but um, extended family members. So you, you, you can find that quite a lot of people can be living in, in quite a small space. Um, almost exclusively, um, people are are sort of keeping aside if you like a little bit of land um within their plot for some kind of outside space um that often involves a shade tree um it often involves you know repurposed containers or or pots um that they're growing um herbs and, and salad crops in or, or flowers or and flowers um but sometimes you find that in the refugee camps, there's a little bit more room um, and certainly more room between um, shelters. So and it depends whether the, the camp is has moved to hard structure shelters versus tented um, shelters. Um, but even in those camps where there are still tented shelters, um, people are growing. Um, there's one camp, Essian, um, where we run uh, annual garden competitions, monthly um, garden awards. Um, and we don't have a community garden space there, but I'd love to create one because um, Essian is a tented community, but the plants that people grow are just amazing. Um, I mean, there's this one lady who um, sort of 
uh, won in one of the categories in our garden competition a couple of years ago. And she has the most amazing rose um, bush that grows, it almost completely covers one side of her tent. Um, it flower, it just covers itself in flowers and it completely transforms her shelter. Um, and people come to sort of admire it um, and take cuttings from it. And, you know, the scent must be completely incredible. That's um, wonderful how she can create such a beautiful rose and then she can share that with others with through cuttings or you know just the joy of seeing the rose absolutely and, and I think it's that it's that sharing it's that wanting to create this space not just for yourself but to inspire others to do the same and I think there was um there are several stories on our website which I would really recommend you know people having a look at because I can't you know I, I I can't speak, I don't like sort of speaking for people, but um, they they voice those, um, I guess, those thoughts about why people want to create a garden really, really well. Um, but there's one um, man who, who made one of those little films with us, Ahmed Tamo, his name is, um, and he lives in Domez One Camp. Um, and one of the things he said, um, I mean, he said something really powerful, which is, you know, this garden gives people a reason to live. And I think that's almost like, you know, when you hear that, it's almost too powerful. It's almost too yeah. much. Um, but those are his words. And that's what, how he really felt about the sort of establishment of this garden. But another thing he said was, if I start a garden, then other people will too. And in passing his garden, you know, along the the sort of pedestrian street where his where his garden sort of backs onto, you know, his neighbours would come and talk to him about it, you know, ask him how he started or ask him what he was growing. And he felt that connection with his community through his garden. And I think that is the case. You know, people see these gardens springing up and ask the question, where did you get the seeds? Like, how have you, where did you get that rose? Or, you know, how do I do this in my plot? And they're sharing those um, stories or sharing those experiences and knowledge. Um, and inevitably you find that if a few people have a garden in, the, in a particular community, then very soon others, you know, start to create gardens too. So it's a bit like a growing patchwork of creativity and yeah, everyone can express their own interests through the garden, which I think is interesting and also share skills, uh, as you mentioned. So, and do these skills, because I think it's really important that we share joy and beauty, but also these skills and knowledge are shared from their previous homes and their previous families, but also they spring to create other op opportunities. Perhaps. Definitely. And I think there's that natural, um, you know, that natural connection between gardening and food. And I think we, we often find this when we speak to particularly ladies um, who are gardening in our community space, you know, when we ask them what they're growing, what are you growing this season? Why are you growing that? You know, and the, the the ladies that we speak to often, you know, have that real connection between what they're growing and what they're cooking. Um, they talk about their mothers. They talk about um, the remembering the smells of cooking in kitchens as they were growing up. They remember their mums growing, you know, things at their houses to to cook, to eat, um, to use in cooking, you know, herbs, um, and to make herbal tea as well. That's a real kind of 
um, again, a, a real tradition that is being carried on through the, the community that we work with in Domiz. Um, and I think it's that shared love of, yeah, beauty, you know, flowers and food that we're, again, finding Lemon Tree Trust projects are able to sort of eke out. Um, when we, before, before COVID sort of hit, we were, we were, um, timing our garden competition to um, finish when Ramadan finished. So there was this sort of Eid celebration in the garden where people would come together with the dishes that they had traditionally, you know, been taught how to cook from their parents or grandparents and pass down the line. And there was a sort of cookery competition, if you like, which finished off the garden competitions and people would sit and share um, the food that they'd, you know, sort of created for their families. And we've created some recipe cards and we've got plans to do a few more of those from recipes that people have, have given to us. Um, and the stories behind those always involve that passing on of skill, that passing on of knowledge. Um, you know, people always talk about, oh, I used to watch my grandmother make these lovely little pastries and she showed me how to do it. And, you know, it, I think the same is true of gardening as well. And, and whereas women often talk about their mothers or their grandmothers passing them on that love of cooking, they do also talk about their fathers and grandfathers passing on their love of gardening. And I think it's that lovely sort of connection between the two, really. I see. And so do the women have special gardens that and opportunities for them to garden themselves? Absolutely. So um, at a shelter level, um, we we find there's a real mix between women and men gardening in their in their own sort of home gardens um and often together in fact there's a lovely um one of the first garden of the month awards we gave was to a lovely sort of um older couple who'd created this incredible sort of strip um down the side of their shelter again which backed onto the road and which was giving you know the 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 pedestrians and the traffic the sort of you know, came past their house, a lot of joy, but they had really created this together. And that was what's so lovely about their relationship, that they had this kind of shared love of this strip of land that they'd um, cultivated together. Um, but you find again, you know, some some women garden alone in their at their shelters, they involve their children. And similarly, you know, men can decide to do that and, and involve, again, involve their children. But children is often a, a real driving force behind creating a home garden wanting there to be somewhere safe within your shelter plot for your children to play outside or to just get some time outside because it can get very very hot but um the community spaces that we're supporting um and they are created by people living in camps you know we all we're all we're really doing is giving them the tools to do the job but um those those tend to be created by and for women um, we often find that women some women um, you know have have come together for the first time really in in our community spaces and feel able to leave their shelter and come to what's what's deemed a safe space for women to socialize together um, without men um, and to share those stories as we've talked about um, and to create these kind of raised beds where they can regularly cultivate salad crops, um, root crops as well. So radish um, and carrots are really popular. Um, cabbage, lots of, um, you know, 
broccoli, cauliflower, those sorts of calabrese, but um, also leaf crops, spinach. There's a crop called malocchia, which is really popular, and herbs, you know, parsley and coriander and chives and onions, uh, spring onions. They're used sort of regularly in cooking. So that's what tends to be grown in the community plots. And then we always try and sort of, you know, leave an area where women can socialize, they can come together, they can sit, they can take tea, their children can play, you know, maybe there's a little kind of um, climbing frame or a fountain that the children can play in. Um, but something that, that provides that sort of sense of community and a safe area for them to come and spend time. Would you say that you've come across people who are new to gardening as well as people who have always enjoyed it? Absolutely. I think although there is this history and, um, you know, historical love of gardens and the creation of gardens within the Syrian community, we certainly find um, younger people who find themselves now living in in the camps um, are coming to this for the first time um, and are gaining strength and knowledge and experience from the older women that they find at the gardens and are sort of growing together really um, and that's lovely too um, lovely to think that a, a new generation of people are you know taking on gardening as a as a pastime and are finding solace and joy in in cultivating you know things that make them happy or things that they find useful um, so absolutely I think there, there's a real mixture of, of the two and um, and through our you know through our team who are based in the region um, we try to have a mix of of people who know about gardening or know about farming um, who are able to pass on skills and talk to women about you know um, sustainable watering techniques for example or how to create a compost heap and and you know create your own um fertilizers or mulch or whatever it happens to be or we've done various different bits of work around the use of gray watering camps because water is obviously at a premium so we're slowly sort of introducing those um wider skills um but really trying to keep it simple i think that's the that again is is what the lemon tree trust does really well in a way we've tried not to complicate things too much and it's through that simplicity and it's kind of um sticking to that simple formula of if i give you a packet of seeds you really don't need much else um you know and knowing that they, that packet of seeds represents so much for that person i think that is 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 again where our sweet spot lies and what what makes the the project so joyful and so successful yes that sounds so wonderful and so you were saying about how water is very scarce and how hot it can get so these skills and sharing these skills are so important and building an education about how to be sustainable is really key to being able to continue the joy of this gardening but also like you say it's really key that people keep it simple and I think we can learn a lot from the lemon tree trust about that and from these people because it seems that even though they may not have so much um yeah you can really do so much with quite a little thing absolutely I think that's that's really true and I think you know um here in the UK and I think it's true of of other um you know, other places where where gardening has almost been taken to a, you know, a sort of 
higher level, really. Um, I think it's so important for us to, you know, remain rooted in the the basic, you know, why do we garden? What 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 is it about gardening that we're that we're doing? So, I think you can feel a lot of pressure. I'm just thinking about you know Instagram posts on when you're planting your seeds or what's what's happening with your seedlings at the moment or I can't believe you're not growing this this year or, or you know whatever it happens to be those sort of gardening trends if you like trying to keep up with those trends. I think you know it's so important to to garden in your own time and garden in your own way and not feel those pressures to to sort of you know, I, I don't know keep up with the joneses or whatever it happens to be but i think you know the the simple act of gardening however you choose to to do it um is is not only joyful but it's it's healthy it's it's physically and mentally healthy and we know um from talking to people, um, from hearing their stories anecdotally, um, we certainly know that that we're doing the right thing in the communities that we're working in in that region. Um, and yeah, we're, we're just going to keep on keeping on, if you like. Yes, wonderful. And so I think it's true we can learn so much from these experiences. And is there anything that we can do as listeners to support the vision of the Lemon Tree Trust? Oh, thank you for asking the question. Um I think first and foremost, it's, it's, it's this, it's talking about it. It's, you know, allowing some of these stories, um, the chance to, to, to be heard. Um, I think finding out about people and understanding what it is that's, that's um, caused them to be displaced. I think gathering that knowledge and doing that sort of little bit of research that it takes to find out a little bit more about people is so important and I think finding bridges like gardening and there's there's lots of other bridges um that can be can be found but finding that common language that we have with people from everywhere um is also a really great thing to do um and just seeing people as people um trying not to look at people through the lens that um, is often provided for us through, you know, media coverage or whatever else happens to be social media that we're that we're seeing it through. But trying to find the truth in what's happening, I think, is so important. I mean, with a small organisation like ours, I will always say that you know, monetary donations will 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 help. Um, that's really true. However. You know, we recognise that there are so many people who want to get involved in in organisations like ours, but don't have the capacity to give. And I think just sharing stories, just talking about it with friends and with family, and trying to change the the sort of language around forcibly displaced people and understand the the complexity that um, is behind those media um, headlines, I think is really really important. Well, thank you again, Jenny, uh, for taking the time to speak with us today about this topic and for sharing the inspiring news of the Lemon Tree Trust. Thank you very much. Thanks very much for having me. It's just so lovely to be able to share a few of the stories. Um, I mean, there are lots more on our social media um, sort of profiles on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Um, So yeah, Um, please do check out the website and see some of these stories um, for yourself. That'd be brilliant. Wonderful. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Thanks very much, Rachel. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the CMR podcast. For more information, visit the St. Andrews CMR website, Facebook, or Twitter. See you next time. Bye.